Uh, I've already prayed. Let's talk about our brains. Everybody point for me. Here we go. Some of you aren't. It's hurtful. Don, hurry up. Here we go. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, you got, you got a brain up here. It looks kind of like this. And there's a war. Keep pointing. I didn't tell you to stop. This is Simon Says. I'll, I'll tell you when to stop. There's, a, there's one of these up here. Oh. Oh. Oh, it's so bad. I'm losing my mind. See what I did there. I don't even know how to put this back. All right. I think something like this. I think that's my hypothalamus. All right. Uh, are you still with me? Yeah, there's a war going on in yours and in mine right now. It's happening. You can put your fingers down. Some of you are very obedient. That's very nice. You kept doing this even as my brain was falling apart. Uh, and this war is waging even now as I speak to you. Uh, no, no kidding. No, no, uh, no, uh, no wonder a piece of the brain falls off. We have an adversary. I'm not saying that Satan ripped the brain apart, but I'm, I am saying that any distraction that uh, our adversary could bring to us, even now as I preach the word to you, he's interested in that. He doesn't want you to know the truth. He doesn't want you to love God, fear God, honor God. He doesn't want any of that to happen. And so there's this battle brewing between our temples. Uh, we uh, have been kind of talking about that for the last five or six weeks. I've been uh, basing a lot of what I've been saying to you off a great book by a guy named Craig Rochelle, a pastor out of uh, Oklahoma. That's called, it's, his book is called Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, if you pick it up and read it, you'll be like, oh, Mark said that. I did because I stole a bunch. Uh, but I, I just want you to know uh, that as we've walked through this, we've, we've based pretty much every talk in this whole series on this one central truth that life moves in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So, so when I say life, I mean everything that you say or do, all the places that you allow yourself to go, uh, it all emanates from what you think. And, and the Bible has so much to tell us about uh, how to think and what we should think and, and where our minds should be stayed upon. Uh, we've, we've studied over and over again uh, the different ways that there can be these strongholds, these ruts that we kind of get ourselves into, and that God wants to pull us out of those lies, out of those wrongs, and into his truth and his rights. We've, we've learned from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, that we've been given weapons in this war that's going on in our minds. They're not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy all those strongholds, those lies that exist uh, between our temples. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God using these weapons, and we take every thought captive uh, to obey Christ. Paul wrote this in Romans. He says, don't be conformed any longer to this world. Don't stick with your stinking thinking, in other words, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's got a, you need a mind scrub. <laughs> there needs to be a renewal, uh, a reset, uh, a shaking of the etch-a-sketch. You got to be like 50 to even get that. But uh, there has to be this, this cleared screen and a reset in our minds on a daily, ongoing basis so that we can uh, have God at the center of our thoughts and be able to test and discern what's going on in our lives and choose his will, the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. It's one of my favorite verses from the first time I read it. It's very redundant. Have you ever noticed that the Bible a lot of times says the same thing in different ways over and over again? It's trying to make a point. In Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul's finishing his letter to the Philippians, and he's like, okay, as we wrap up, finally, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, 
Set your domes on that. Let that be your true north. He's basically describing the character of God in seven or eight different words. And he's saying, listen, as you walk through life, no matter what you face, fill your minds with the good stuff, the right stuff, the God stuff. So that as you walk, you can walk with him, in him, for him. We called this series Master Your Mind. I should have called it Making God the Master of Your Mind. That's what I'm really talking about. It's at the heart of your individual success as a person. Like, I believe that God made us. There's, first of all, I believe there's a God. Anybody with me? Most of you probably are, anyway. But some of you might not be. I believe, I believe that there's a God. I believe that God designed us to function in a certain way. And for us to function in a certain way, our minds need to be given over to him as individuals to the things that he's called us to do so that we can function in the way that he designed us to. Who's, everybody get that? But today we want to unpack another side of what's going on in our minds because we're not just individuals sorting things out in our heads. We are, as a collective, the body of Christ. And the scriptures have much to say to us as members of this body in how we think together. Being the master of our minds or letting God be the master of our minds, it's not just an individual pursuit. It's at the heart of every church's success in their mission for God. Letting God be the master of us and collectively the master of all of our minds is the call of Scripture. We're going to read some verses today in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, I already read some of it, but we'll go back a few chapters to chapter 1 and read on into chapter 2. And we're going to see that God, or excuse me, well, God, through Paul, is saying to all who believe in Jesus, stay united in one mind. Have the same mind with each other. Because your success as the church hinges on that. We all get that, right? Like anybody got a job that you work with other people, depend on other people if they don't do their part, if they're not focused on the things that your collective group is tasked with, things aren't going to work the way they're supposed to work? Everybody knows what I'm talking about here? Ever been on a team? One kid falls asleep in right field, and, you know, the other team wins on an inside-the-park home run because he's thinking snow cone, right? Or, or uh, uh, we have a piano. You can't see it right now. It's hiding somewhere backstage. But every once in a while, we bring this huge grand piano uh, out onto this stage, and there's two steps between this level and this level. And uh, apparently, you can't just push it off. You can't just do that. And so uh, the maintenance team and several of the pastors, you know, who are willing to, you know, risk their backs, uh, come out here on those days that we're moving it, and it is an everybody-focused moment because we're about to hold a corner of a very heavy object and walk down from this level to this level. It's going to take 30 seconds. Gravity's wonderful. Is anybody grateful for gravity? But it, it needs to be one of these processes where no one's distracted. There should not be some, you know, fool on the corner of the piano being like, in the middle of us doing the one, two, three, go, hang on, I got a text, let me see what it says here. And all of a sudden, everything tilts his way and it crushes Steve Hardy, our maintenance guy. I don't know what happens, but, uh, but things go horribly wrong. My son Cooper's going to get on a plane tonight and fly back from where he's been hanging out with his aunt and uncle uh, over the weekend in Illinois. Here's my hope that the pilots are talking to the towers and the towers are talking to the pilots and everybody's directing the planes away from each other. Everybody all for that? Everybody good with that? And everybody's focused on this task so that my kid can land and get back to living in the back of my house. <laughs> yeah, we understand 
this locked in same mindedness that's required for tasks to be successful. It's no different for the church. The church has some heavy lifting uh, that we need to do. You know, we know that uh, we've been called, we, we say this around here all the time, we've been called uh, to live for the glory of God by being disciples who make disciples, right? That's our mission, to be the very best disciples that we can be of Jesus Christ and then to be used of him to make disciples so that more people follow. But there's all kinds of forces working against us. Of course, there's external forces. Uh, is anybody picking up that maybe it's gonna become more and more difficult to hold on to our faith in the world that we're living in. I mean, it's always been hard. I'm not saying that it has like been a, a cakewalk, uh, but, but it's becoming increasingly uh, uh, evident uh, that, that the world does not hold us in esteem anymore. Uh, for the first time in history, fewer people uh, ascribe to faith and religion in our country than, than, than don't. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but we went below the 50% line of people who ascribe to faith, is that what I mean? Um, we are being vilified as a group more and more in our headlines. Have you noticed this? It's always the evangelicals, usually the white evangelicals, but it's always our fault for whatever's going on in the world, at least according to the newspapers. Um, <laughs> we have not just those kind of external forces against us, but we got uh, even uh, pandemic forces. What a weird 15 months this last uh, 15 months has been, right? Everybody went inside. We started doing church online. Who's grateful for technology that allowed us to continue to do church, right? Some of you are still watching me right now. Uh, and, and we were able to do that as we needed to stay away from each other, you know, so that this pandemic could go by. But, uh, but, but here's what I'm semi-concerned over is that, you know, there'll be this slow trickle of people returning. That's great. There's some of you still watching. And here's the deal. There's some of you who need to watch because you live in Cleveland. Hi, Mom. How's it going? She's there, right? There's some of you who need to stay away because uh, you already had physical things that kept you from being a part of us on a Sunday morning before the pandemic came. Maybe it's still unwise for you because of your health situation to be around a bunch of people, even with the vaccines and all that different stuff. Whatever. But here's the deal. There's a ton of you. I'm going to look right into the camera because I'm talking to you. There's a ton of people still watching us online who could be here. But you know what? The last 15 months has taught you, I like church in my pajamas. French toast while I'm singing praises is pretty good. But here's, here's why, and, and listen, I, I am, we're going to keep throwing this thing to the internet, and you can keep watching this at home, but I want to caution us, because here's, Hebrews talks about, the, it's basically a letter written to a bunch of Jewish believers who are leaving their faith in Christ and heading back to Judaism. That's the whole letter, and it's arguments as to why they shouldn't do that. But in the midst of his argument, the writer of Hebrews says basically this, beware of the drift. What a, mm, what a, what a punch in the face way to say how people walk away from the face. It's not, it's not like, you know, a slam door run. It's just a subtle drift. It's like a boat. Who's ever been fishing? If you've ever been fishing, there's currents happening underneath your boat, and you start fishing here, but you end up fishing down there. Why? Because you drift. And one of the things that I worry about in the church is that those who are kind of nominal, just barely hanging on, kind of watching me right now, you're like, hey, wait a minute, is he talking to me? i got to look up for my pancakes. Here's my, here's my concern is that we've gotten it to the point in our culture where we're trying to make everything easier. And as we make things easier in the Christ life, <laughs> Satan's like, 
cool because I'll lull them into such a, a comfort that they'll just keep drifting from the God that they say they love and I'll neutralize them in this mission that they have for Christ. So those are the external pressures that make it so important for us to have the same mind. But can we just for a moment talk about the internal strifes that, that churches experience all the time? Anybody drive by a couple churches before you got here today? Anybody used to go to a couple of those churches? Now, I'm not going to question as to why you're there or not, or not there and here now. Uh, I don't like having those conversations. Usually they, they involve preferences. Didn't like the preaching, didn't like the music, didn't like the guy who preached or the guy who did the music. It's preference-driven. Now, preferences have been driving the church apart from itself for 2,000 years. You can Google this. I started doing it this morning at like 4 o'clock when I got here, but I got tired. I couldn't uh, find like a, 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 a web page that agreed with the other web page. Depending on which web page you landed on, there's either 47,000 denominations in the world, 33,000 denominations in the world. I read the Catholics. They think that there's 200 Protestant denominations. But whatever the case is, I submit to you there's too many denominations that when Jesus started this thing, he didn't picture a bunch of people saying, I'm taking my ball and I'm going to go play over here. But that's what happens in a world where people exist and sin reigns. As we let our differences divide us, instead of allowing the things that we agree upon, unite us. When people ask me, if, in case you're wondering what, what denomination I belong to, I say Jesus. It frustrates them. It may have just frustrated you because you're only here because you heard that we were Southern Baptist or at least loosely affiliated. Hey man, you know what I'm looking at right now? This melting pot of all kinds of people from all kinds of places and histories in the walk with Christ. And here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that we are agreeing on the majors and setting aside the minors so that we can follow hard after Jesus in this mission that he's called for us. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's why we're here. So... Some of you agree. This is why Paul pleads with the church here in Philippi to have the same mind. Can I read you some Bible? Here it comes. Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians. Only, it's interesting, he starts with only. You ever ask your mom what she wants, you know, for Christmas? Oh, nothing. Just that we'd be together, right? That's the only thing I want. Plus, and then she gives you the list. Anyway, uh... No, but we, we can kind of boil down the things that we really need to a short list. And, and here Paul says, you know what, Philippians, my friends in Philippi, here's the only thing I need. The only thing I desire for you from you is this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, he's writing from prison, not a good chance he's going to see him again. Uh, spoiler alert, he doesn't. But whether I come or whether I'm absent, I want to hear of you uh, in this way, that you are standing firm in one spirit with how many? One mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your appointments, appointments, uh, opponents or appointments, if those are scary for you too. Go back to verse 27. It says, striving side by side. Paul borrows a word from the military world. 
Uh, and, and everybody would have thought immediately of the, of the Roman phalanx. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, basically, the Romans would fight with a, a line of guys in front holding their shields up, and then there would be a line of guys in the back with spears, and the shields would go down, and the spears would go out, and the shields would go back up. They were like a machine. They had this move they called the tortoise. They would take those same shields, and the guys on the outside would put their shields on the outside. The guys in the front would put their shields in the front, and there'd be a bunch of guys in the middle, and they'd hold their shields over their head, and they'd walk around as arrows were coming in. Maybe you've seen the movies. You know what I'm talking about, right? And they were this dominant, warring country. Why? Because they'd figured out how to do these things, war, together. It's not just every man for himself. We're stronger when we unite and function side by side. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, only, this is my only thing, have one mind. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And he says this, don't be by, uh, frightened. That's verse 28. He says, don't be frightened by anything that your opponents bring. You know that word frightened there? It's not the usual word, phobos, that we have in the Bibles for fear or fright. It's, it's a word that basically means don't run around like stampeding horses. You didn't care. All right. Uh, I thought what an interesting way to put fear because not, usually we're not like ah! running around on the outside, but come on, confess a little bit with me. Anybody ever been like stampeding horses on the inside? Just freaking out, but smiling the whole time that you are? What a beautiful day. I'm so blessed. We learned last week that we shouldn't be anxious for anything. Paul says uh, here, hey, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. He says this in verse 28 as he finishes. He says, this one-mindedness, this staying together, striving together, is a clear sign to those outside the church, them, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He's basically saying, listen, the longer you stick together, the better you stick together, the more magnified and pronounced the message of the gospel is to the people who don't hear it or who aren't following Jesus yet. A church divided is a church neutralized in its mission. How many people have you talked to about, you know, hey, you ever gone to church? You ever? Yeah, I used to go to church, but then the church started eating itself from within. And I thought, if this is what being a Christian is, I don't want any part of this, right? Brennan Manning, a great author, he basically, I'm going to butcher his quote, but he basically says something like this. Um, here's, here's essentially what the world outside of Christ cannot believe. That Christians uh, profess Christ with their mouths and then go and live like he doesn't exist at all. That, that they just kind of fold in on each other. But if we stay together in one mind... We are this megaphone for the truth of the gospel. As we walk together, united in the truth for whatever this world has to throw at us, that's what shows people, yeah, there's truth in this. This is for real. There's a lady up at the, I don't know if she's still there, probably not during the pandemic, but she used to sit right by the opening of the mall on Saturdays. She just sit out there with an umbrella over her. She had a sign that says, Jesus loves you, right? And she would just sit there and wave. Love that lady. Don't know her. But appreciate that in her own way, she's trying to get the gospel out there, that there is a God. His son is Jesus. He does love you. You have hope in him, right? But she's just sitting there waving, holding a sign. Great. 
You know what the clearest sign is to a world that doesn't know Jesus? A church united, working together, loving each other, having the same mind. We're the greatest billboard for the gospel of Christ. He goes on in verse 29, he says, for it's been granted for you or to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, hey guys, just so we're clear, this grace that we've been given in God, this, this savior that we have in Jesus Christ, it wasn't just given to you so that you could receive salvation and be secured in, in eternal life, but it was given to you knowingly that you would experience suffering. Some of you are like, well, that's not why I signed up. This whole Jesus thing was in response to my suffering. I wanted to be free of suffering. And maybe you've walked with Jesus for a while and you're like, hey, wait a minute. There's still not enough money at the end of my month. My marriage is still difficult. That guy is still... <laughs> an ogre, whatever. But what Paul says here and in other places that he writes to his friend Timothy, he's like, hey man, don't be surprised when suffering comes. Some of us are. We're like, where'd you go, God? Why is this hard? And God's up the ground, I'm right here. I allowed this. In, in certain sense, it's just as I've, I've, I've definitely appointed this. I wanted this to happen in your life so that you could learn more about me and so that I could use you in the midst of your suffering to be this megaphone for the gospel that people need in their lives. Yesterday morning I got up, I walked two miles with my wife and my dog. I ran three miles to the gym on a circuitous route. I, I lifted uh, you know, chest and legs. I walked another mile back to my house and I hated every minute of it. Can I just share that with you? Well, the dog, the dog walk was fun. Eleanor's nice. But the rest of it, uh, just not enjoying myself. But I do it because um, I do enjoy wearing a shirt that someone gave me four years ago and I've never worn because I was too fat to button it, right? Thank, no, you can clap for that. I'm happy about that too. <laughs> and I also love that uh, the fact that this is happening in my life is rubbing off on those that I love. My sister quit drinking diet soda after she found out that I stopped that and it was a part of the things that were helping me and I trust it's helping her uh, in her quest to be healthy as well. My point is this, if it's worth having in your life, it's gonna come at a cost. If it's gonna make a difference in your life, it's gonna come at a cost. If it's going to translate into making a difference in someone else's life, it's going to come usually at a cost. Let's not be surprised when suffering visits us. Paul says this. He says, hey, guys, you shouldn't be surprised. Look at verse 30. He says, at the end of verse 30, you guys are engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had back when I lived with you and now hear that I still have while I'm here in prison. What was he talking about back when I lived with you or back when I was around you? You, you saw me. Paul in Acts 16 gets thrown into a Philippian jail. And he sings songs with his friend Silas until the doors open and some of the first Philippian converts become the jailer and his family. And the next morning, the Roman officials come and they let him walk out of there. And Paul is basically saying, hey, you guys, sometimes you got to go to jail for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes you got to be strapped to a prisoner, a prison guard, so that you could share with them for eight hours until his shift is over. Sometimes that's how this stuff works. 
standing firm with one mind, in one spirit. This is Paul's only hope. Striving side by side. This is his prayer for the church. Uh, refusing to cower in the face of those who oppose us. Suffering as needed for the sake of the good news. This is what he's um, encouraging in Philippi. But how is it that we get this done? Same mind, same love, setting aside self and looking to the interest of others. Look what he says. He says those things in these next verses. Um, Chapter 2 is not the beginning of a new thought. It's still uh, the same thought as the last few verses of chapter 1. He actually reiterates. He says, so if there's any encouragement, verse 1, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full, in full accord, and having one mind. Stay together. Put in the work necessary to do so. This, this is what my joy is, is hinging on. My, my prayer for you is that you'll love deeply. You'll have the same mind, the same mission, that you'll walk together. He says in the next verse, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is where the sermon's going to take a turn. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. How do we accomplish this same-mindedness, this one-mindedness? We have to set ourselves aside. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is a really interesting Greek sentence. There's only five words in the whole thing, but you can see the English translation has many more. It's kind of Tarzan English if you just translated the actual words there. The Greek is this, don't look me, look others. Love that, though. Don't look me, look others. Everybody say that with me. Don't look me, look others. What a great mantra to walk through life with. In every situation we face, this is what God through Paul is telling us. Don't look me, look others. Fitting because most of us walk through life like this. Good morning, me. Got a little mirror here. Good morning, me. Oh, looking better every day. Well, let's start the day. What do I want for breakfast? Doesn't matter what's been made by someone else in my house. It's about me. And uh, if I can get them to make it for me, even better. Which route am I going to take to work? This one. What are all these cars doing out here? Don't they know that I'm going to work? That this is my State Road 60? You settle into your chair at work. What am I going to do today? How can I get out of that meeting? What will I have for lunch? How can I get that other person to pay? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? There's a lot of this going on. You can't see it, but spiritually, when sin comes into the world, everybody gets one of these grafted to their hand. And you walk through life in sin, by nature, looking to self first in almost every situation. Paul says through God, don't look me, look others. If we're going to be successful as a church, we have to have the same mind. And for us to have the same mind, we have to take our eyes off of ourselves and get rid of selfish pride. Because pride warps our thinking. Does everybody understand this? 
you got to be a certain age again. Some of us are getting back into this, but uh, it used to be that if you wanted to listen to music, it came on an LP record, right? And uh, if you were unwise and you left your records by the window, which I found out one day, uh, the heat coming through the, the window will actually take your 45s and it will warp that sucker. So that when you put it on the uh, record player, you get a really interesting sound. Anybody? Some of us are old enough, we remember, right? Or it, maybe this will translate better scratches. Who's ever, Eleanor just got a copy of uh, uh, Johnny Cash's Folsom County uh, Prison Blues, great album. But she opens it up and the first thing she sees is this big line coming across this thing and we're just like, Lord, you love Johnny, we love Johnny. Let's, let's be able to listen to him, please. Thankfully, the songs came through just fine. But if you've ever had a scratch record, that's, that's what happens a lot of times. When you have pride, you're living your life in your minds with a scratched record. You start for a moment to think about others and their needs, but all of a sudden, boop, boop, and you loop back to you, and you're back with the mirror in your hand, and you're back to focusing on your comforts and your preferences, and all of a sudden, the unity of the church, the, the same-mindedness of your marriage, the, 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 the one spirit of your family gets lost in the you. Uh, pride is like putting on someone else's glasses. If you're sitting next to someone right now that you know and you don't fear COVID or whatever, but, uh, uh, and you want to switch glasses with them, go ahead. It's fun. Walk around the rest of the day with someone else's glasses on. See how that goes. I bet you vomit by three. Anyway, uh, it's not going to work because you're not going to see straight. And pride has the same effect on us. It causes us to believe things about ourselves that just aren't true. It makes us say, I'm better than you, which is death to relationships. It makes us believe that I can handle this and that I don't need help. It takes us to Scripture and pride tells us in our minds, this doesn't apply to me. It does to everybody else. But for some reason, I have some super spiritual power that precludes me from having to keep this commandment or to honor this character of God, characteristic of God. Let me close with, with these things that will help us Combat our pride so that we can live the don't look me, look others life. So that we can have this same mind in the body of Christ. The first thing, three things, first thing is this. We need to examine every situation in light of God's word. So when you come to some post that hits your Facebook and you want to sit down and immediately react to that thing, sometimes angrily, in your own wisdom, in your own thoughts, slow down, cowboy. What does God's word have to say about this situation? Because there's all kinds of ways that we can divide, and there's all kinds of ways that we can present ourselves to those outside the body of Christ, to those inside the body of Christ, through the things that we post, the things that we say. Just slow down long enough for what you know about God's word to kick in so that you can allow that to be the filter that the rest of your life flows from. I love that after Paul and Silas were in Philippi, they did that whole jail thing. They went to a, another town called Thessalonica, from whence we get our letters to the Thessalonians in our Bibles. And then they ended up in this place called Berea, which doesn't have a letter. 
uh, in our Bibles, but it was a, a significant place because it tells us in Acts uh, chapter 17, verse 10, that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away uh, by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue, which, is, which was their custom. Let's start with the people who believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonican Jews all got mad at Paul and Silas, Silas, and they wanted them to be killed. And so they, this was very common in the Paul and Silas story. Uh, you know, people basically rose up against them and uh, tried to have them killed. So these Jews were not like those Jews. Uh, and they received the words that Paul and Silas had to say with all kinds of eagerness. But don't miss this. They examined everything that they heard from these teachers in their synagogue with the scriptures to see if the things that they were telling them were true were lined up with the stuff that God had already revealed through the Old Testament. They were fact checkers. <laughs> they made sure that the truth was rooted in truth big T and not just in opinion. One of the first memories I have of the church are the songs that I learned as a little kid. I don't know if we're still singing them over there, but that old bunch of one. Jesus loves me. Come on. This I know. Okay, so you remember too. So there's a whole bunch of them. And one of my favorites uh, had motions. It was about uh, the end of, of Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus, having finished the Sermon on the Mount, says, hey, if you take my words and you apply them to your lives, you'll be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the storms come and the rains fall and the house stands firm. But if you hear my words and don't apply them to your life, if you don't run life through the filter of what I've given you, then you are like a man who builds his house on the sand, right? The wise man builds his house upon the rock, right? The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. This was sand. This is the sign for Florida. Sand. <laughs> and I'd sit there and I'd sing that song. And the end of the song went like this. So build your house. I forgot house. House on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And this silly little song rooted in this serious section of Scripture is the beginning of us letting of the, go, of the look me life and allowing God to run us in the directions he would have us go. That's why we gather on weekends like this. That's why we go to life groups. That's why we go to foundations classes and listen to podcasts. It's all that we might know and put the word of God in play. So that's the first thing. Examine your life. Run it through the word before you act. And then here we go, just real quick. Admit your own faults. Anybody in here ever made a mistake? <laughs> Quickly, people, hands in the air. Oh, man. Yeah, some of you made one this morning. Several this morning. But some of us aren't good at admitting when we're wrong. In that same chapter that the house on the rock story comes from, uh, Jesus taught this. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me get that speck out of your eye when there's a log <laughs> covering up your whole face? Who's heard these verses before? Anybody here great at specks? I see a speck in yours. We could tell you everything that's wrong with everybody else. We post and blog and, 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 and express to anybody who's willing to listen our slant on life. Here's how everything needs to change. You know what's so refreshing to sit down with someone who doesn't talk about anybody else except their own junk. Now, I'm not talking about low self-esteem guy. If that's you, 
pick it up. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? You're not a mistake. Knock it off. But I hate talking to like, it's not my fault. It's your fault. I golf with this guy. He's never missed a putt of his own missing. It's always the read I gave him or the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the wind blew or, you know, an, an ant had flatulence. I don't know, something. <laughs> but it's never his fault. People live their lives like this. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my sister's fault. My brother's fault. My boss's fault. My wife's fault. My husband's fault. It's everybody else's fault except mine. Knock it off. That's a lie from the pit of hell that's going to keep you living the mirrored life. It's all about me. It's all about my pleasure, my joy, my comfort. It can't be my fault. You got a log in your eye and you don't even see it. Admit your own faults. And then finally, once you've gone to God's word, you've seen the truth, you've, you've seen how it uh, applies to your life, and you've confessed your own sins and sought to, where possible, you know, uh, receive God's grace and repentance and follow it in a different direction, then you can go. Here, here's the thing. I'm not saying that you never go to someone and say, hey, there's a speck in your eye. Because the Bible says, go and tell them. Look at the next verse in Matthew 7, 5. As we seek to humbly help others see where they are wrong, uh, he says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to what? To take the speck out of someone else's eye. Or someone else's eye. <laughs> These are the keys to us putting down self so that we can have as his church the same mind as his family in our homes, the same mind as, as, as a couple in marriage, the same mind. It, it all hinges on us setting aside self. Don't look me, look others. So as we close, I wonder if there's someone in here um, that you have a log in your eye with. You're sitting there and you're thinking, even as I'm talking about these things, I know they're speck. I talked to them about their speck this morning. That's why we didn't have a very nice drive to church. Well, maybe it's time for you to confess the log, deal with the log, and seek to heal that relationship by doing so. It says in Matthew 5 that if you're at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave the altar and go fix that, reconcile, and then go back and make things right with God. Anybody here? Huh? Know that someone has a speck, you just haven't been willing to talk about it. Someone has something that needs to be addressed in their lives, but you, because of fear, because you just don't get involved, or because you don't have the right, you know, I've got no stones to throw, I'm just not going to say anything. Here's my prayer for if that's you, that you'd have the courage today to have that conversation, to do it in love, humbly, but to do it because to not do it is to risk the same mindedness of the body of Christ to miss out on us working together as a phalanx, as a, as, a, as a team in accomplishing God's will for our lives. Let me close with this. Will you stand with me as we read this verse together? As we finish this series on our minds, if I had one verse that I'd want you to focus on and meditate on as you walk in life, it'd be this one in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Read it with me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let me pray that over us, God. Standing in front of me are many men and women and children uh, who are carrying in their heads the minds that you gave them. Uh, on behalf of all of us, God, I confess that our minds are not always stayed upon you. That the mirror comes out pretty quick with us. That we get focused on our comfort and our desires and, and we leave uh, your desires for our life to the side. Lord, forgive us for that. If there are logs in our eyes, help us to identify them and confess them and repent of them. Help us to be useful to each other. Uh, God, as we examine your scriptures and see what you have for us there, to be able to take those things in love, in humility to those around us and encourage them to walk the life that, that you've designed for them. Give us that unity, that camaraderie, that team um, mindset, God, as your, as your church, as, as individual families, as marriages. Give us that, that other focus that will allow us, God, to be used of you so that your good goes forward, so that you receive the glory you deserve. These are the things I pray. Give us your mind. Give us one mind. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. So glad you're here. Think well. We'll talk to you next time.